My name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. Our show today is about one of Minnesota's oldest newspapers, the Pioneer Press. It was purchased by a hedge fund that has made major cuts to their newsroom staff. Yet, the paper is profitable and turning out a solid product day after day. What's the future of St. Paul's largest newspaper? We talked to the paper's own Dave Oreck. The show was recorded live at the Amsterdam Barn Hall in downtown St. Paul. I hope you enjoy it. I prepared a lot of uh, questions to talk about the Pioneer Press, but you were saying some wonderful things about the medallion backstage. You were giving us some behind the... Can you... So we were asking about the question writers for the summer medallion. Can, can you tell us no, who they are? No, I, I can't. No? Why no. not? The, the clue writers are like one of the biggest kept secrets in journalism in the Twin Cities, in journalism in America. So even in the offices, people don't know who they are? Usually not. I, I was able to ascertain the identity of one clue writer in my career there, and that was Jim Ragsdale, while he was alive. Jim Ragsdale good friend of mine died a few years ago and we revealed him officially as a clue writer in his obituary and generally speaking i think that's usually when people find out that someone's a clue writer confirmed is when they die i would think there's no organization more equipped with investigative skills to figure something like that out it's a closely guarded secret. There's basically only two people that necessarily know, the publisher and the head of marketing, well, and the clue writer, it, assuming there's someone different. But you, you occasionally kind of float around trying to eye someone's work computer to see if they're making a rhyming clue or something along those lines. Oh, yeah, we point fingers at each other all the time, and there's denials that go on. So all it's like a place. murder mystery party, just accusations thrown back and forth. It, it's nonstop. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I think journalism has fallen in the east side of the river is because we're spending too much energy <laughs> trying to figure out the clue writers. Speaking of, uh, the last time you had, we had you on the show, you told us about the state of the pioneer press, and it, it seemed like things were on hard times. Have things improved at all? Or, no. Oh. <laughs> Maybe let's set the table a little bit. Uh, where are we at with the Pioneer Press, as opposed to 10, maybe 20 years ago? Sure. Well, so we're still here. We're still working our butts off. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and uh, I see Bill Salisbury, our veteran reporter, is over there. He's, he's still here with us. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we're, we're still putting out papers Chasing the news every day, we have a dedicated staff. But compared to, uh, you know, 10 years ago or so, we had a newsroom that was, I think, more, a little more over 10 years ago. Our newsroom at its height was over 200 people. Now we're under 50. And, and why has that happened? The Pioneer Press has always been owned by a larger publisher, whether it was Knight and Ritter or uh, McClatchy and some others. But... What got us to where we are today? Sure, there's a couple of things that happened. So the first was uh, a right-sizing, uh, which was a shrinking of newspapers that happened all across the country. Craigslist undercut uh, classified advertising, Adina.com undercut our realty ads. The, the Internet in terms of pulling the rug out of the income revenue model for newspapers. That, that was a huge transformative thing. That affected newspapers across the country. Um, but then... In addition to that, we began shrinking beyond the rates that most newspapers did around the country, and uh, that was because us and other newspapers that were owned by uh, a hedge fund that essentially took control of our parent company. Um, our parent company, Digital First Media, is controlled by a New York-based hedge fund, Alden Global Capital, and they 
Basically, that sounds like a nice name. Yeah, all the nice global people. capital. Yeah. They, they're all about informing the public, right? That's, that's the type of people, the hedge fund you bring over to Thanksgiving dinner. That's right. Um, their job is to make money for their investors, and they want a rate of return that has been unsustainable for us, despite uh, us actually making profits. A couple of years ago, the numbers were leaked out publicly. We pulled in about a 13% profit margin. It was something like uh, $10 million a year. That same year, our staff shrunk. So we're making money. We we have right-sized ourselves, and yet um, they're just pulling cash out and and shrinking us down gradually. And it's, it's frustrating. For example, the press had a long-time home on this side of the river, but since then they've decided to sell that building as an asset, even though it's still kind of sadly, I guess, ironically known as the Pioneer Press Building, but now you're officed elsewhere. Yeah, right. Well, of course, there's the landmark uh, Pioneer Press Building um, down in toward Lower Town, but then 345 Cedar, just a a block over there next to where Ecolab used to be. Um, we were there for, for years. We owned that building. Um, they sold that building for several million dollars. And uh, we now rent space in what is often known as the Comcast building, just across the river, still in St. Paul, but on the west side across the river. We rent out one floor there. Um, and it stinks because the money that came from that sale didn't go back into the into us as a newspaper. It didn't stay local. It, w- it went to the hedge fund in, in New York. So that was a big bummer. Yeah, th- that's like a, if you looked it up in a dictionary. It'd be that <laughs> little story right there. Um, so it, it's in this weird position where the paper is profitable, which is something I think a lot of papers nationally would love to be profitable, but it's at the expense of a lot of morale in the newsroom, losing veteran reporters, and I, I know recently there was a vote in uh, the newspaper guild that you're part of. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I, just to add one point, it's not just at the expense of reporters. It's at the expense of the community. I mean, I, I live in St. Paul, and, and we really believe that you know we're not in this business to, to be rich. We're in this business to inform the public, watchdog, and all that high idealistic stuff. And that's what suffered. We have fewer reporters reporting the news. But, yeah, there was uh, recently we we had our own little internal strife. We're a unionized newsroom like the Star Tribune is across the river. Um, And uh, we're more than just simply the newsroom that's unionized. Our advertising staff is unionized and marketing folks and a number of other folks now that that sell advertising online like an ad agency for companies to come up with online advertising and marketing strategies. And we're all in the newspaper guild. Uh, there was a petition to decertify the union that's been around since the 1930s or something. It's, it's, I can't even remember. It's, it's been around since almost the newspaper was founded. Um, the original uh, Ritter family was actually supportive of the founding of, of a union. And so it's been a very strong union. It's been part of it. There was a petition circulated to decertify the, the guild, and it was signed by 30 guild members, which was about a third of the newsroom, which, according to the National Labor Relations Board, was enough to force a vote. This caught those of us like me who are in union leadership and have negotiated contracts, it actually caught us off guard. And it was this kind of a, a freaky thing that went on where uh, I, I know a lot of us initially were like, wow, this, this, this is going to be awful. We're going to have a union battle. Management is going to come in and try to, you know, sow divisions in us. 
Um, the traditional split in the Pioneer Press has been news guys who are, you know, ink-stained wretches and ad salespeople who are, like, well-dressed and, like, interested in making commission and know how to do math and, <laughs> and have, quite frankly, have, are the ones that pay our salaries through the, the revenue they bring in. And, and there's always been two cultures in the newsroom, and we don't really talk to each other because... Well, that's... I mean, you want that wall. You don't want advertising right. influencing editorial or coverage. Exactly. We're always fiercely independent and, quite frankly, self-righteous and indignant. And advertising has often been like, yeah, those news guys, they don't pull in any money, and we're doing all this hard work. We don't even really know them. Do you think they would like to just put out a newspaper that's all ads? Like, just turn it into the Pioneer Shopper? Well, no. Historically, I think they always... They did actually have a respect for the product, because, after all, that's what they're selling ads into. Um, but with this new wave of, of digital online advertising agency, which is branded under something called Ad Taxi, which unless you're a business owner who has used Ad Taxi, like Snyderman's Furniture does, to sell their Facebook ad campaigns and their search engine optimization campaigns on Google, um, you would never have heard of them. Uh, that, that side of the business is really divorced from the Pioneer Press and TwinCities.com. And so what happened was... This sort of culture, these two cultures had sort of uh, begun to divide a little bit farther apart. And you started hearing, it was weird, I say it's a little bit of a microcosm for American politics that happened over on the seventh floor of the Comcast building, where when this petition came out, a lot of people in the newsroom were saying things like, who are these people? Who, who are those people who would, like, want to get rid of the guild? Like, don't they know that we're, like giving them better health insurance than they would have otherwise? Don't they understand that, you know, if it weren't for us, they, like, would have to work more hours and have lower minimum pay and all these things? You know, sounds kind of like Democrats wondering why, what's wrong with Kansas? Why are Republicans, in their view, voting against their interests? Maybe a newspaper should send somebody to cover you and write, write about you from a distance and get everything wrong and inaccurate. Right, right. So uh, we, we got together and, and um, did a sort of a, a reset on this and said, look, what we have to do is we have to we have just go around and talk to people. That even though we're sitting like as far away as I am from you guys, there are people who, who sit this close and don't actually talk to each other, which is weird. I mean, it's kind of Minnesotan, isn't it? Like, you know, you, you sort of give a chin nod and wonder... Uh, who are those people? Well, it turned out that those people were also wondering the same about the newsroom. A lot of a lot of younger employ younger employees who'd been hired in the last few years didn't really know what the newsroom was all about. They weren't selling ads for TwinCities.com or the Pioneer Press. Um, but those of us in union leadership said, we've got to just listen to people. Let's figure out what's going on here. So did that help, doing some trust falls and having a board game night? Right. It's going to sound all, all kumbaya. And it kind of was because it, it did help. It worked. We realized that they were just normal people like us, and they realized that we were normal people like them, and I don't want to sound too uh, sort of group-huggish about it, but um, we, we changed minds, and um, in the end, only, uh, I believe, 16 people, just barely half of those who signed the petition, no, no, it was 12, it was less than half, uh, actually voted to decertify the union. So with like 88% turnout, we had more than 80% of the vote. And we overwhelmingly survived, which I think actually makes us stronger as we go into contract negotiations this summer. Yeah, that, that's about as 
good result as you can expect. So that's yeah. kind of like the floor of where things have been, and it seems like things are getting better. How, how do you think things are going? What, what's your outlook, outlook looking like for the next couple of years? Well, it's a big question mark. I mean, I mean, like I say, internally, uh, the guild, the union is strong, uh, which in some ways we were never as divided as I think we, we might have appeared to be to some who started this petition. Uh, the fact is that um, as far as where the Pioneer Press is going, it's, it's a question mark. There are no imminent layoffs in the newsroom right now, um, but there's not hiring going on either, and we need, we, we need to fill more positions, and at least we don't need to lose any. Um, we are on the, the search um, for people who will buy us. We have interested parties. We haven't been able to make enough headway to actually get it purchased, but we are interested. If anyone out there happens to you know, know a couple of millionaires... Um, What's a storied institution go for these days? We think ours would be anywhere between 20 and 50 million. Now, 50 That's million... That's pretty cheap. That's yeah, reasonable. It, it depends. I mean, 50 million sounds like a lot, but when you consider that we were making 10 million a year in operating profits uh, just a couple of years ago, that actually is about the going rate of newspapers. Have you thought about... Um, what other newspapers around the country are doing. Some, some are starting from scratch and doing the crowdfunding thing. Some are going nonprofit. Some actually have courted billionaires to swoop in and save the day. Yeah, we're, we've looked at all of the above. And when I say we, uh, it's actually been uh, the employees, rank and file, who have done most of this. And, and the Guild has led this. We're not, we've invited management to join us, and we know that, that there are many not in the, in the union who, who are with us in spirit. Um, but because, you know, their positions in the company, they can't really advocate for that kind of change. Um, but, yeah, we, we have talked to wealthy, well-financed, interested parties. We have some that are interested now. Um, and, uh, but we're, we're also, we're not di- dismissing out of hand the notion that maybe the future lies in a nonprofit model. The simplest one is the benevolent billionaire. And that's why other, other newspapers have gone that way. And it's worked for uh, the Star Tribune across the river, and great for them. This is a very Lutheran community. Is a schism out of the question? It's not out of the question, but which schism are you talking about? Oh, you're really testing my, my confirmation knowledge. Um, but it feels like everyone's still supportive of the Pioneer Press as a whole. No one is saying, I'm leaving. Who's with me? I'm going to start my own paper. Correct. That, that hasn't happened. Um, I mean, for one, we have Min Post here in the Twin Cities, and that, was a, that, that is essentially the, the um, nonprofit sort of uh, – it was a lot of the people who started Min Post who were their, their first generation were former, newly retired Pioneer Pressers and Star Tribuners and um, Stribbers, sorry. Um, and and – they're doing their thing. They're sort of at their size they're at. I know that they're, they always like to be bigger. But, I mean, without, I don't mean to disrespect them, but they're a lot smaller in their total reach and audience than the Pioneer Press. And um, we want to continue to reach a, a much wider audience. And so it's really risky to just take a couple of, like, policy reporters and say, let's go off on our own and do this. Have you tried pivoting to video or doing brand new things? Yeah, um, we have, and we haven't really been able to give it our all. I mean, one of the problems is we have a list, like, this long of ideas, of initiatives that we want to start. 
they require some effort. They require at least time and often money. Video uh, is highly labor-intensive. It is, takes incredibly long to edit good quality video. The Star Tribune put in a decent investment in video when they first moved to Capella Tower, and uh, they've scaled that back somewhat. The Boston Herald, which is now owned by our parent company, they put a real big resource push into video, and they, they found it didn't really, didn't really work. Um, we, we have seen what the Washington Post and uh, the New York Times have done with podcasts, and that's been impressive. Um, yeah, everything. There, there's crowdfunding possibilities. We're working with uh, fellowships uh, to help fund some of our staff. Um, th- we're willing to try anything, I think. Uh, has there been any camaraderie with the other papers? You mentioned the Boston Herald. I know there are a couple more of pooling resources or kind of chatting or working together. Yeah, actually, there's quite a bit of, uh, of solidarity and, and commiserating. Um, one of the things is if you Google Alden Global Capital, you will very quickly find stories that range from the Wall Street Journal to the Washington Post to the Chicago Tribune writing about what they have done to all these papers across the country, which include, like, the, the Denver Post is another big one, um, and, and, and a whole papers in New England and Pennsylvania, down, in, down south there's some, um, and in, in, uh, around the um, San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and all that information that's out there was largely started because we, as a bunch of unionized newsrooms, got together and said, as journalists, really, We've got to get this story told. Like, what these guys are doing to us is newsworthy, and the public should know. And so we hired uh, an investigative journalist to essentially start reporting on this and was self-publishing this stuff sort of on our website and stuff, and, and uh, sometimes magazines would pick it up. And the mainstream media began to take notice and realized, yeah, this is not union propaganda. The, this is actual fact that's going on. Um, and, and when we go into union negotiations, we actually do talk. We've bargained en masse at times and stuff. There hasn't really been um, any way to coordinate purchases when you're the Pioneer Press because we are an island in this digital first media empire, which is one of the biggest newspaper empires right now in the, in the nation. We're the only one in central time zone. Okay, and so it's not like you could come in and buy a bunch of papers and sort of see economies of scale there. Um, You'd just be interested in this St. Paul East Metro Minnesota newspaper. Which is a great paper, by the way. Thank you. Don't undersell it. Um, I should say that uh, for the second part of our show, after the improv, we will come to you, the audience, uh, if there are any questions that you would like to ask. But uh, just to kind of finish up, um, what... If uh, Mr. Alden of Alden Global Capital was here, what, what would you say to him? Yeah, Heath Freeman is his name. Um, we know quite a bit about him. Well, if then, you wh- where does the name, name Alden come from? Uh, I, I'm not actually sure. It, it was founded uh, by a guy named Randall Smith. I think Alden just probably sounds it like... It sounds rich? Yeah, it sounds rich and austere and yeah. stuff. That's my guess. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't met Heath Freeman. I haven't had a chance to talk to him. But um, if I... He doesn't walk around the newsroom every now and then? He showed up once um, in our newsroom for, for a, a, a meeting, and it wasn't announced that it was him... It was never really announced. We realized that after the fact. They, they literally put paper up on the, the glass walls of the conference room, I think, so people wouldn't notice that he yeah, was that there. Yeah, that gets rid of any suspicion. But, yeah, I've, I've fantasized about, about talking to him, and, and it, I would just simply say, you know, 
dude, sell us, please. I mean, you know, help us sell us. You know, make your money and then let us be. And in the meantime, you know, just can you please take it easy on, on, the, on how much profit you need? I mean, you know, is, is 10% okay? Because that extra 3% we could really use. And when you take it out of us, it, it really sucks. And it, it hurts us. It hurts the community. Um, and it's not necessary from a financial capitalist standpoint. On that wonderful and hopeful note, please give a round of applause for our wonderful guest, Dave Oreck. Anybody has a question? I can bribe you with a wonderful. Whoa! There's three questions at one table. All right, I'll start right here. Actually, there are four questions. Four questions. May I ask two questions? I'll keep them short. First question: um, Why would venture capital firms be particularly interested in newspapers? Because I, I believe historically they're not just cash machines. Second question: um, Do you think that large um, community newspapers, large large city newspapers are more vulnerable than small town newspapers because small town newspapers serve a community that is ignored by the internet in general, whereas large cities are not. Thank you. Yeah, those are great questions. God, I ask two-part questions all the time, and I always feel bad for the guys who have to answer them. So <laughs> the, the first part was the... Venture capital. Yes, why do they care? Because we're not cash cows. Actually, newspapers historically are, from a business model standpoint. So two things. One, uh, profit margins. In their heydays, in- including the Pioneer Press was never as high as, like, say, the Star Tribune. But in, in newspapers' heydays, you're talking 20 to 30% profit margins each year. Okay? Th- this is like newspapers were rolling in it. And the way newspapers got money wasn't so much single copy sales like somebody selling widgets. It was via contracts, contracts with the readers, contracts with advertisers. So the money was guaranteed ahead of time. It was very reliable, subscription-based services. I mean, like, you know, if an iPhone comes, hits the stores tomorrow and there's something really wrong with it, like by noon, sales will be dead because everyone will get the word out, don't buy that. If our paper starts being awful tomorrow, like if we just killed all the reporters completely and just became a complete joke, it would be actually months before the subscription revenue would be even noticed because most people pay for it in advance. You know, you you get billed that way or they automatically bill you the next time. So actually what uh, investors saw in newspapers was cash flow, reliable cash flow. That was the first thing that attracted them. And then as they started sucking out the cash flow, the the other thing that they saw was actually capital investment, printing presses and downtown real estates, major city papers especially. Every major city paper, I mean, if you go around in a prominent place in the downtown of a major city was a large building owned by the newspaper, fully owned, in prime real estate, often they own printing presses, which you can use to do other things. A fleet of trucks. These are vertically integrated, uh, uh, you know, vertically integrated companies. Now, as far as the small town papers being more vulnerable than the big city ones, that, that or less vulnerable, I don't know that the book has been written on that. This is a tricky question. At first, they were more insulated. They were more insulated because they were less vulnerable to Craigslist. I mean. 
to put it really simply, if you were in a, a small town, it was your internet service was likely not as good, and you were slower to adopt Craigslist. And Craigslist may not have had, uh, you know, Chippewa County Craigslist. I mean, I, they probably don't still, right? So if you really want to find, like, you know, lawnmower or used canoe or whatever for sale locally, you'd pick up the local paper. And nobody else was covering that local news. Um, you do see the pressure now has come on small-town papers quite a bit. And, in fact, we've seen a number in, in Minnesota uh, shrink their uh, – quite a bit, down to just five days a week for some, and some have closed. Uh, Bill, do you, who's closed in Minnesota? Do you remember the, the couple of them have closed? Okay, the dailies not yet, but a couple of weeklies have. Um, we're kind of fortunate, if you live in greater Minnesota, that there is one large chain forum, newspapers, that owns a lot of them, foreign communications. Um, and so they have the ability to absorb uh, a, lot of, a lot of costs and stuff. If you ask me who will still be around in five years, big city papers or small-town papers, I don't know, but small-town papers are, are definitely getting hit hard now. Next question, and I don't have to travel very far. So how many of the St. Paul readers have been stolen away by the Star and Tribune? It's a good question. Stolen? None. I think you mean borrowed. <laughs> um. Not as many as you'd think. Now, I, I haven't looked at it. I don't know that anybody's actually been able to do an analysis in the last couple of years. But for years, it was amazing. Uh, David Brower, when he was at MinPost, did a, did a map. He did a, a map where he mapped Star Tribune, areas where the Star Tribune was like more than 30% penetration and areas where the Pioneer Press was more than 30%. And it, it was it was like red state, blue state. I mean, it was, it was right down the middle of the metro. Like, Roseville was like the dividing line in the north metro. And you go east out to Woodbury, and, and even here in St. Paul, and you just do not see Star Tribune subscribers. I was first hired at the Pioneer Press, and we made a push into Anoka County. And I moved here from Chicago and uh, got a place in Coon Rapids, and so I, was, I immersed myself in Anoka County. And I, I was doing good job. I was beating some of the strip reporters, you know, in all modesty. I was doing good news. And I remember asking the circulation guys, hey, how's this push going? Because, you know, I feel like I've been working my butt off and doing good. And they're like, yeah, it, it's like a third try in Anoka County, and it's just strip territory, you know. Nobody's, nobody's buying us and nobody's subscribing to us up there. Um, Recently, I, I think that we've probably seen a lot more uh, Star Tribune, a, a lot more East Metro folks picking up the Star Tribune. I know I've seen some in my neighborhood. I live on the east side over near Lake Phelan. But I'll tell you, out of about like the 10 folks on my block who've told me that, yeah, I think I'm going to cancel the Pioneer Press, you know, the subscription's getting too high or whatever, only one has actually signed up for the strip. So there's an amazing amount of loyalty in this provincial metro that we have. And that's one of the reasons why you haven't seen them try to gobble us up, because it's a lot of work for them. And it's one of the things we have going for us when we try to market ourselves as, as a paper that, that can be bought, is take a quick look at some of the detailed demographics and newspaper trends, and you'll see that we are viable. We are not just a second newspaper in a major city. We are the leading newspaper in a major city that happens to be next door to another major city. Do you pressure your neighbors? When you see them getting a strib, do you walk over and say, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed? 
it's Minnesota, so they see me, my door open, and they run inside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've had a number of them come up to me, like, like in I'm, such I'm sorry. sweet Minnesota ways, yes, and say, you know, I'm so sorry, but I really, I, I bugged you like five times in the passive-aggressive way all year about how your paper sucks, and so now I'm finally going to have to cancel it. Like, you know, I'm like, okay, I, I get it, you know. Other questions? I'm going to go here, then I'll go back over there. Has, have you guys ever thought about the Green Bay Packer model? Having the, the community own shares. Um, I was just telling Bill, I've lived in Ramsey County my whole life. I've, I've subscribed to the Pioneer Press for over 50 years, and, and it has changed. And we are disappointed. I mean, I want to see the obits. I'm Irish. We joked about that. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I think there are enough people that if, you, if somebody, if you guys were to do an effort where people could buy shares, you know, um, some people would buy one just because they're incredibly loyal and that's all they could afford. And there are other people, you know, who go to Assumption who would buy lots of shares. But I, it, it feels like we're getting sort of, um, it is just a cash cow to this hedge fund, but it's like the Vikings versus the Green Bay model. You know, we, I mean, they, we, got, we got arm twisted into building these stadiums, and or there's always the threat that, you know, it's going to change. But if the community owned us, I mean, wouldn't that be better? Yeah, I, I, I think a community-owned paper might be awesome. Um, we've, we've looked at it. We haven't completely dismissed it, but it's tricky when you start looking at the actual amount of money. I mean, you know, $50 million was the last time the price tag was published, uh, sort of in among places that sell newspapers. Uh, $50 million is a lot to come up with on, you know, you can do the math on, you know, $50 to $100 shares. Uh, and it's a really messy way to go about it. Um, there have only been a couple of newspapers that have tried that model, and only one, I think, that was really sort of still afloat. It was, it was up in New England, and I can't remember if it was, if it was in Maine or New Hampshire. Um, and it was much, much smaller than the size of our operation and the size of our, of our readership. So it's, it's one of those things that I, I think in some ways sounds easier than it is to actually pull off from a business model and to raise the actual capital. Having said that, I'm, I'm not, we're not saying no at all. Um, it requires a major effort to get it going. We looked at it most closely when we still own the building downtown and we're looking at um, sort of an ESOP, an employee ownership, as part of something that could also include some outside investors and a community-owned thing. And even that was a, a tricky revenue model. And the key to the employee ownership side was the actual building at 345 Cedar, which could have been collateral and used as leverage. And when they sold the building, that kind of blew up that, that chance. So uh, that's my short answer on that is there's a reason that you haven't seen it with, you've seen it with just a sliver of newspapers around the country. Is it, It's hard to pull off. How many people in the room right now are willing to chip in $10 million? <laughs> For our podcast audience, I see one, three hands right now. And we but just need five. We, we just need five, but three isn't enough. I'm sorry. Uh, next question. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, 
Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask maybe, maybe two questions. One is similar to what has been asked. It's kind of a Pioneer Press versus uh, Star Tribune. Uh, the, to me, uh, the Pioneer Press has a reputation of being very conservative, at least editorially, versus the Star and Tribune tends to be more liberal. Do you think that that's a no. fair assessment? And if not, why not? And then my other question, it, it, it's, it's kind of a lighter one. I love the peep dioramas. And, um, <laughs> you know, they're, they're just kind of kitschy and creative. And is that, a, uh, is that something that's very popular with the readers? I love it. But uh, is, that, is that a popular uh, item with your readers yeah peeps are peeps are really popular um peeps is one of those great things i'm not a native here sorry um but when i got here i was you know the medallion hunt the peeps diorama contest these are things i was like oh this paper is so cool they do these like goofy things and like the readers love them and eat them up and and eat them up try not to eat those peeps too much but yeah no it's people people love the peeps diorama um uh, contest um so as far as conservative star and sickle versus, you know, the liberal star and sickle and all that stuff. So here's the thing. Um, in newspapers, uh, th- there's your editorial pages that endorse candidates and actually express opinions on issues. Um, that group of people are completely separate from the reporters in that we, we don't really, I mean, we may talk about things, but um, I don't know the editorials that are going to run in, in the Pioneer Press, and the Star Tribune guys are the same way when it comes to their ed- editorial uh, board. And so newspapers develop this reputation for being conservative and liberal, largely based on the stands of their editorial department's editorial board, which is like a subunit of the editorial department. Um, and often it's quite contrary to uh, the readership. The best example is the Chicago Sun-Times, which was like the more uh, liberal and certainly the bigger readership for Chicago's black community. But their editorial board for years, because they were owned by a real conservative bunch of guys, was always coming out and endorsing like the white Republicans against the black Democrats in Chicago with like, you know, the newspaper that was read by by black readers. And it was this disconnect. Um, and, And so there's a little bit of reputation, I think, that's unearned. And then I I like to think that, um, first of all, I do believe that by and large, there is a liberal media bias in America in newspapers more than a conservative bias. I mean, I just I, I think it's it's hard to to be a reporter and not see that you know in the culture. Um, but I believe at the Pioneer Press, we've done a really good job, and I and the political team and Bill of of really trying to um, to check that with our, with ourselves and to make sure you know what. If, if we're going to take a really critical look into uh, Doug Wardlow, the attorney general's candidate's prior stands on gay issues, I am going to go in and look deep at whether Keith Ellison really sticking up for cop killers like Republicans are alleging. And, and um, you know, it, it's hard in this day and age to do that. But as so as as reporters, uh, we're not we're not trying to be more conservative than them. We're not trying to be liberal. And I can tell you that my colleagues across the river, they are not trying to be conservative or liberal either. And if it comes out in reporting, uh, in the actual news stories, it's, it's unintentional and it's, it's probably a, a, a fault. 
that we have. We have time for maybe one or two more questions. Yes, great. Questions have been really heavy on this side of the room. We need to balance it out a little bit. We're cutting you guys off over here. Uh, Two questions. Uh, People coming, young people coming into uh, journalism, and are they welcomed, and what's their future? Uh, Yeah, they're... They're welcomed, we love them, and we feel really bad for them. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 a hard, it's a hard industry to be coming into. I've, I've taught at the U. I've taught the Intro to Journalism class just a couple of years ago. Um, in fact, you know, one of, one of my former students is working with us in the Capitol Bureau now. He is only here, um, Ryan Faircloth, he's here on a year-long fellowship, and when that expires, he has to find a job if we can't hire him and he knows how tough a job market it is right now. It used to be that when newspapers was a tough job market, it was because of competition. Now it's because nobody's hiring. And and that's 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 hard. Uh, you know, so yeah, we, we welcome them, but often we find ourselves like apologizing to them like, I, you know, I'm glad you guys like this unpaid internship. I'm really sorry we don't have any openings. Follow-up. You know, just as a comment, uh, you know, I really don't like Associated Press articles when that space could have been used for something in St. Paul. Yeah, why are you so lazy? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, If it's Associated Press articles on uh, national news, that's always a a dilemma for us. How much national, how much international, how much local? Um, and, And that's... That's often uh, literally a question of how important is this story and everything. Sometimes the size of the local versus national news holes is determined in print by the amount of advertising to support how many pages. It's the way it's always been. That's nothing new. Um, if it's a local story that the Associated Press is writing, um, there's always been a debate in, in both newsrooms on, in every newspaper whether it's okay to rely on the, the wire service or do it ourselves. As our staffing has shrunk, we have relied more on the Associated Press uh, to, to fill that hole. The fact is we can produce fewer news stories now than we have probably in the last 40 years because we have fewer reporters. And so in online where real estate is irrelevant, um, we, we, we have, I mean, it's been amazing how well we've managed to, to keep our content up there. But... Um, Sometimes we just simply have to rely on them. It's, it's not because we're, we're lazy. It's because we got no one to do the stories. Have you ever thought about outsourcing? Uh, I think it was Pasadena Online several years ago outsourced their city hall coverage to uh, shop in India. There's actually been other parts of our operation that have been outsourced overseas related to the production side of things. It's often not worked well. Um, we... The company has thought about those kinds of things. We as the union have stopped them and continue to fight them. We allow a level of freelancing on some local stories, but some of them we don't allow that because we don't want them to be incentivized to simply lay off all the full-time reporters and say, okay, we'll hire freelancers at $50 or $20 a story, and then we will lose the actual, you know, it will be an unsustainable model of, of professional journalists. Well, you don't have to worry. There's always a place for you in improv comedy because they can't outsource that yet. Please give a round of applause for our guest, Dave Orrick of the Pioneer Press. 
Thank you for listening. If you'd like to attend one of our live shows or are interested in working with us on an issue you're passionate about, you can find out more information on our website at www.t2p2.net and on Facebook and Twitter. Also, if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend about it. Thanks.